TBD. Yes. You are officially the first guest in my new studio. And uh, I'm very happy to have you here, my friend. Well, first of all, congratulations. Place looks amazing. And thanks for having me, man. I mean, you, when, when Sam said, Pat, schedule, Craig, because we're leaving to New York tomorrow. Yeah. Can we make this? I said, it's Dave. No question about it. We got to figure it out. So we got down here to uh, be here with you. There were several reasons I wanted to do this, mostly because I knew you would dress to the nines to show up here. And a first guest has to dress right. But like that it. is part of the PBD operation, right? Like looking good, dressing right, taking care of yourself. It's part of the, the kind of whole thing that has given you success. I, I would say so. I think, you know, when, when you got to know this is not what I was used to growing up. I don't think I've ever... Uh, worn a suit as a kid. Maybe I went to a wedding one time and we wore a suit, but you go to the military, you come out. I'm the baggy pants guy, size 48 <laughs> jeans with dickies. and I've know, seen some of the old pictures. Yeah, you, that, you do some of those old throwbacks. That's, yeah. that's some of my stuff. And then I go to the Army, I get out in the Army, I start wearing BDUs, and I started falling in love with ironing my clothes with starch from PX and shining my boots for a couple hours. I love doing that. And then when I got out and started working in business and one of my uh, guys at Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter, said, you got to get a nice suit. And then I put it on. I said, I kind of like this. And then, you know, the rest is obviously history. When did, uh, well, first off, let's do a little yes. bit. Cheers, man. Cheers. Congrats because, on this. Thank you. Thank you. And everything, well, everything that we're going to talk about is sort of, a, I would say, a congrats to both of us. Because we both moved our lives and operations yes. to this free state. And it has pretty much worked since then. So, I agree. So I'll I agree. agree to that. I should note, by the way, you're, you're doing the whiskey. You're a whiskey guy. You're doing the what? You're doing the tequila? I'm, I'm a tequila guy. Okay. I tried to finish all the tequila in the world. Didn't work. The, so I gave yeah. up, and I moved to whiskey. I want to get you on tequila. Can I tell you that the bottle, I think, Connor, can we get a shot of the bottle behind me? That's the most expensive bottle I've ever bought in my life. No joke. 550 bucks. Get out of here. For a bottle of tequila. But I was like, you know what? New studio. Things are going all Good right. Good for you. I'm sitting down with PBD. I've had my eye on that bottle yeah. for a long time, and I went out and bought it yesterday, and I was like, we're going to do it. Well, listen, I mean, it matches your one-bedroom condo you live in here. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe I sleep in this room, too? Isn't that something? I love how my, my right before we start, my producer, Phoenix, says to you, hey, Patrick, what, what kind of watch is that? Yeah. Without flinching, oh, it's yeah. a fossil, It's a fossil watch. No, There's, but obviously your house is a beautiful house, what you got here. Congrats to your success and what you've done. Going from where you were at, I love you. you know, I'm asking you, what are these VHS that, you know, from stand up to now being one of the most powerful voices out there, man? It's, it's great to see you what know, you're I doing. You know, I was, well, that's truly that's why I wanted to have you in for this first show, because your dedication to success and, and trying to replicate that for other people. I mean, those days when I was doing that, I was broke. I mean, broke. I didn't have 50 bucks. I was borrowing change to get a cup of coffee at Zabar's on the Upper West Side so I could do a little stand up at night to pray for the dream. I had a buddy. Uh, this is totally true. I had a buddy who worked in food service for restaurants who would drop off industrial sized cans of tuna that I would survive on for weeks. Most likely I'm going to die of mer mercury poisoning, <laughs> you know? Um, but that thing, like that thing, the struggle to the success. Yep. Tell me, I know, I know your story, but can you give me like the brief like struggle to success story? Yeah, I mean, you talk about tuna. You know, when I was in the army, I would get the tuna because it was disgusting, but the can was like 49 cents at PX, <laughs> and you would mix it with mustard because at least mustard would make it tolerable, and throughout the day, I would have three, four, five of these cans 
to get the protein. Protein. No, listen, Ray, tuna. Tuna, tuna might yeah. be the key to the whole operation. I huh? think that's what it is. We're mercury. We're both going to go through. One day news <laughs> is going to come out. Dave Rubin and Patrick Bay David are dealing with mercury, <laughs> having too much of it. But yeah. no, I mean, look, you know, it, it, it all starts with a dream. I was talking to a couple of the guys the other day. Just yesterday, we're doing a Zoom call with a couple of our executives, and one of my guys says, uh, "Hey, one of my sales guys I'm dealing with." He's very difficult to deal with. He's a pain in the ass, and he's tough to do this, and da 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 He's a 1099 guy, not W-2. W-2, you have the option to fire and coach and yeah. send him to places, but 1099, you're working with these guys, right? It's like you're running an insurance office and real estate office. So he says, what do I do with him? I said, well, let me tell you what I do in these types of situations. I said, for a guy like me, I joined the Army at 18, okay? April 15, uh, 1997, I get shipped to... Uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Uh, my ASVAB score wasn't high, so I only could be infantry or mechanic. So I became a Hummer mechanic. I had 13 Hummers to myself. I had a couple FMTVs and LMTVs. These are the bigger trucks. And I had a Hotel 8 certification, which means I can go tow uh, cars out of the mud, you know, trucks out of the mud. And that's what I did for a living. I thought I was going to do 20 years. Literally, I'm going to be in the Army for 20 years. Then I'm going to get out. I'm going to get an additional 10 points on my uh, a score to be working at the post office or cop or firefighter because if you're a former military, you get that 10 points on the test. So if somebody scores 75, but you're in the Army, you get 85. If you do 82, you do 92, right? So mm -hmm. I had that advantage. Then uh, one day I get a call from a friend of mine, Kogan. He says, hey, Pat, what are you doing? I said, tomorrow I'm re-enlisting for six years. Uh, really? Yeah, I'm re-enlisting tomorrow. They got me everything I wanted on my orders. I'm going to go Special Forces, Delta, Sears School, you know, I speak five languages, so they're going to help me out to sharpen my language. And then I'm going to go to Vicenza, Italy, which is where I wanted to go to. There was a beautiful unit there. And then from there, you know, I'm going to do this for 20 years. And I'm going to retire at 38 years old. And then I'm going to go be a cop and firefighter. He says, Pat, you got to get out. I said, I'm not getting out. I'm signing my contract tomorrow for six years, and I'm getting my Army accommodation medal. I had gotten an Army Achievement Medal. Tomorrow was a celebration. Lieutenant Colonel Peacock was going to give me an Army accommodation medal. He says, can I convince you otherwise? I said, you can. My dad already sent me a $250 camera as a gift for committing to re-enlist. Huh. He says, just give me an hour. And this guy was the only guy that ever came and visited me in the Army out of my friends for 18 days. And when you're in the Army, you're alone. You remember all the letters. I kept every letter. Every single letter anybody ever wrote me while I was on boot camp, I have all of it till today. Hmm. All of it. And you know like who is a friend and who's thinking and who's not. All of them. The people you thought that you're best, they never wrote you a letter. The people you thought were like, they were okay, they wrote you 50, 60 letters. So I'm sitting there, hour later, it's now one o'clock in the morning, I got formation early in the morning, I can't sleep all night, I've already promised my dad I'm gonna re-enlist, he wants me to stay in uniform, be in the military, I get out in the morning, go to Lieutenant Colonel Peacock's, disappointing news for you, I can't re-enlist, I gotta get out, but David, what are you doing? We got you the orders, I said, I totally under you, you have no clue how much I respect you, but I'm getting out, so I get out, they don't give me the Army Accommodation Medal, how and difficult were those wasn't few easy. hours? I mean, yeah. just, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm going back because I threw my boots over the, you know, you, you celebrate like, hey, this is it. It wasn't easy. Let me tell you, it was a lot of anxiety because when you're in the military, it's so regimented. It's mm -hmm. so like routine. And if you like routine, there's a lot of trust and comfort in routine. There's order. There's expectation. There's a time for formation. It's a lot of good things, your benefits, chow hall, when you eat, how much you get paid, your promotions, correspondence courses you gotta take. You know, you'll be an E5, E6, E7, eventually you'll be a drill sergeant, maybe you know, first sergeant, then sergeant major, E9, and that's kind of the route you go. And you can take advantage of GI Bill, maybe 
become an officer, second lieutenant, first lieutenant, work your way up. So there was an immediate, and you can travel, see the world. It, it was, you know 20 years what it's gonna look like. It's predictable. And I like the predictable aspect, but I also have a uncertainty aspect. Mm-hmm. The unknown fires me up. There's an element of unknown that's exciting, that the level of curiosity, I wanna know what the possibilities are. So then I get out. I get out of the military, I come out to be a Hummer mechanic, and there was one shop at Camarillo, and it was Thousand Oaks Camarillo that had a Hummer dealership. So I go and I said, listen, I'm the best Hummer mechanic in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And the guy says, listen, man, we sell maybe one or two Hummers a month, H1. We have one mechanic, if we're lucky, we don't need a second one. And I said, I'm very good at shooting. He says, listen, we don't need a hitman here. You know, they, you're not going to use it in private. <laughs> so at that point, I went and took the test to be a cop. I had 16 speeding tickets, so I couldn't be a cop. And then firefighter, there was a hold. And then boom, five-year freeze and being a firefighter. Then I get out and start making money in the financial sector, Morgan Stanley, uh, Transamerica. Then I start my own insurance company. And the rest is history. The point I was making with this meeting was the level of grace God has on us. When you go back and think about the people you met in your life, some of them were, they made such a big impact in your life, but they're a five-minute person in your life. You're at Nordstrom's. Your son is wrestling with you. A woman over here who's 65 years old is looking at me for 10 minutes while me and Dylan are wrestling. I said, ma'am, how you doing? She says, I'm doing good. She said, do you know why I'm looking at you? I said, why are you looking at me? She says, because I remember when my kids were that age. Hmm. I said, tell me about your kids. I have three sons. How they doing? What do they do? One's a doctor, one's an engineer, and one's a lawyer. Really, all successful, all successful, all married with kids, all married with kids. Give me three secret sauce. What was it? So I only give you one. I said, what's that? She says, um, if you ever threaten to discipline your kids, follow through. I was like, out of all the advice you can give, you give me this. If you threaten them, always follow through because your word can't lose weight. Yeah. This is five years ago. I'm at Nordstrom's. That lady was in my life for five minutes. That impact is permanent. You got certain people that are one day, certain people that are a month, certain people that are a year, certain people that are a decade. But if you think like if you have a relationship with the man upstairs and you say, how did this person come into my life? What is the chance of me meeting this person? Or that, what? I'm the luckiest man alive. So when you look at it from that perspective, and then now when I wake up in the morning at the beginning, you and I were you know, joking about poison in the drink, and I told you, I said, <laughs> if God takes me today, man, I've lived the most incredible life. I am so grateful. Everything from here is dessert and bonus. And you know, that's, that's a brief uh, uh, element of the story I haven't told before. Do you try to acknowledge that every day? I, I sense that you do from watching your show and just watching what you're doing on Instagram, because yeah. I've noticed for me, and maybe this is partly just being a new father, like I, I really am like, Things have been good. Like, I don't want anything else. It's good. It's really good. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I have the family I'm supposed to have. I'm like, I'm like unbelievably humbled by that. And I don't know what to do with it sometimes yeah. in a way. It, it, it's, it's interesting you say that. So to me, this is the battle I have, right? Because I have friends of mine who made their money that no longer want to work. And they're living the life where it's like, well, you know, Kobe had the father time that came. You know, LeBron's father time is coming. I'm kind of going through the father time myself. People will say this, right? And I'll say, cool, to each his own. Totally respect this, salute to you, but I can't help myself. I tend to challenge everybody around me, family, friends, kids. If you're around me, you're either gonna like it because I'm gonna challenge you, or you're not gonna like it, you know, because you know, this is too much, man. I can't be around this guy too much because it's constantly like the next <laughs> level, the next thing. Yeah, yeah. But you have to realize, as tough as I am on everybody else, 
I'm a lot tougher on myself. The way I process this is the following way. I'm, a, I'm, I'm greedy and selfish in the following way. I watched a movie, Meet Joe Black, that completely messed me up. I've never seen a movie, Meet Joe Black, till two months ago. I don't, uh, Brad Pitt, right? But I don't think I've seen it. Oh, I, I mean, listen, yeah. let me tell you. I can't tell you how ridiculous this movie is. Okay. The vault conference we held with Brady two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah I pretty talked awesome. About, you're, you're, I talked about Meet Joe Black for two, three days. Because the, the scene opens up with Brad Pitt shows up, and Brad Pitt is death. I'm not going to give you the whole story, but he says, I'm death. And he keeps rubbing his chest. You know, Anthony Hopkins, one of the greatest actors of all time because he's having a heart attack. And death comes and says, your time is here. You're about to die. He's 65 years old. His oldest daughter is putting together the big party. Presidents are showing up. Senators are showing up. Billionaires are showing up. And here's a businessman that's a billionaire. Gets in a helicopter from Hamptons, goes to Manhattan, does business, comes back. And, you know, that's the life he's living. And he's so close with his daughters, they love him. Youngest daughter's kind of like his right-hand person that's doing stuff with uh, business. And she's dating the other right-hand guy. And this house is like a behemoth, 60,000 square foot house. And impact, investments, board. And I'm watching this movie, I'm like, oh my God, fired me up because it gave me urgency. Because mm -hmm. my dream was always to have the family live close. I want all my kids close to me. Obviously, they don't have to. They get to do whatever they want to do. But I'm going to bust my tail to have so many different opportunities where if you want to be a realtor, you can manage our real estate portfolio. If you want to be a lawyer, we need lawyers. Yep. If you want to go do movies, let's go fund your movies. If you want to go be a teacher, let's build a school together. They could be dog walkers because I saw a video that you Anything. did where your kids are now making some money dog walking. Yeah, dog dogs, walking. Yeah. Any, you want to be a capitalist, go do it. But let's stay together because I want us to stay together as a family and I'm going to do my best to create that net. And then at the same time, the other side, you know, I wrote this book called Choose Your Enemies Wisely that comes out December 5th. A lot of people say, you know, why choose your enemies wisely? Why not choose your friends wisely? Why not choose your allies wisely? I really think this is a season where enemies are truly formidable enemies that requires people who are capable to fight to stand up, and I take that role very seriously. I teach my kids, if somebody in school is getting bullied and you can do something about it, you gotta stop that. If you don't, you're a coward. So in a way, if I'm teaching this to my kids and I'm watching what's going on in America, what's going on with uh, you know these guys telling Rumble what to do from House of Commons, hey, you guys better take this guy down and consider what YouTube did to them from UK is telling Rumble, a Canadian company based out of, who the hell are you to say something like what they're doing to parents? And you got 30 different cities who are in Canada protesting right now against indoctrinating kids and have so much respect for these parents that are willing yeah. to do the fight. I'm sorry. Some people maybe don't have a platform like you and I. Who am I to want to sit here and just celebrate all this money I've made, the house I have, the you know relationships I have? I feel like, I feel like this is an era where God is looking for you know, the, the flag carriers to rise up and, and we feel we want to be, we want to earn the right to be one of them. Did you have to do work to not feel guilty over success? Because the, the mainstream idea of success, everyone wants to pretend it's only worthwhile yeah. if you came from nothing. It's right. only worthwhile if you have nothing, if you're always struggling. But if you came from anything or you have anything, you should be guilty about it or feel bad about it. And I actually remember the first time that I went to your show, which was soon after moving to Florida, and it was so, you guys loved success so much. And obviously the last couple of years have been good to me and it, and it has been a shift in my mind to not feel any shame around it. I feel pride over it. I mean, I built this, I work with great people, I 
talk to people like you. But it's like, a, you have to like do work yeah. to, to do that because you have to overcome what society is telling you about success. You know, it, it, it's a great point. I read a book once by a, a man named Art Williams, a man I look up to a lot. He's a great leader. He went from being a regular guy in the insurance industry, built a company, became a billionaire, bought an NHL team, and just great family guy. I think he's been married for 50-something years to his wife, if not longer. And uh, he's impacted a lot of people's lives. In one of his books, he says, never feel guilty for the work others have to do to win in life. And I read this at 30 years old, 29, 30 years old. I got a hold of this book that's very hard to get a hold of. He wrote a couple books. One is called Pushing Up People. Another one is called uh, All You Can Do Is All You Can Do, But All You Can Do Is Enough. But this book is not a, like, you can't buy it in bookstores. So I got a hold of it. And it said, uh, never feel guilty. I'm like, never feel guilty. Never feel guilty. Wow. Hey, that guy's got to pay the price as well. If he says he's got this big dream, he's got to pay the price. So never feel guilty. What a point. Kids, never feel guilty. If your kid wants it, he's got to pay the price. Yesterday, Jay Williams, you know Jay Williams, the, the basketball player, yeah. together till midnight. He's at the house. He's talking to, Tico, uh, to Dylan. Dylan's an athlete, so he wants to play sports, super competitive. So he says, so uh, Dylan, so tell me, tell me about yourself. He says, well, I play this, 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 that. He says, how good are you? He says, um, I'm a good athlete, but I'm a little too competitive sometimes, and I want to win all the time. He said, let me show you a video. He shows the video. He sits down on the stairs. And he's showing Dylan this video, Jay Williams talking to Tom Bilyeu on Impact Theory about a story of Kobe Bryant. This video went viral. And he says, one day we're shooting. I'm doing 400 shots. I wasn't going to leave till I make the phone. You've probably seen this video. Yeah, yeah I've seen it. Yeah. And Dylan's like enamored by it. We're just kind of watching this. And he's like, wow, that's pretty wild on what, you know, Kobe did to get to where he's at. So then he's teaching my son hey, if you really want to go there, you're going to have to pay the price because this guy paid the price. I can't feel guilty for my son having to pay the price. So, so if others don't want to do it, I don't feel guilty for you. So then the next phase becomes for us is you came from nothing. You're broke when you're doing this you know, comedy stand-up, and then now you're living in an incredible home here, and you have uh, weight. Your voice carries weight where people want your endorsement, people want to see what Dave has to say. You've spoken to some of the most powerful names around the world, and you are many people's dreams. One day people want to follow your footsteps. Well, they gotta pay the price for it, but the challenge is gonna be for our kids. Our kids are gonna go through the other part. Well, mm -hmm. listen, you're, you're a rich kid, and you're this, and you're that, and you're this. I'm reading this book by Joseph Kennedy, and Joseph Kennedy in his book, when you read it, one of the things he didn't want to do is never wanted to give credit to his parents because he wanted to say, mm -hmm. I did it myself. So, you know, as you go into this phase, our kids' challenge is going to be different than ours. Last night, uh, I'm really challenging one of my kids, hardcore right now, and my wife and I are having a conversation because we're reading Musk's new book. Phenomenal book, by the way. I don't know if you've gone through it yet I haven't not. gone through it yet. Phenomenal. Just, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a very... It just came out a couple of days it ago. It just you're, came man, you're out. you're on it. You're on it. It just came out. The yeah. story with him, Kimball, sister, two hours he would walk to this and how he would get into fights and bully it and... The way his dad was and why he lived with his dad and Kimball, which is a very interesting story. And it's like, babe, you know, I said, babe, you need to listen to this book because you have to know one of our kids wired this way, so we have to understand him better. And she says, but, you know, you think we're being a little bit too tough? I said, babe, if life is going to be, everything's going to be easy and perfect and no challenges, like, we need to create a little bit of challenges for our kids to be tougher. And that's the element of, as a parent, we need to be creative. 
And that's not easy to do because we have the resources to make their lives very easy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very challenging for us. And then we, at the same time, need to have them have their own identity. So, But one of the lessons I learned is I, we can't feel guilty for the price others have to pay. Does the fame part feel weird to you? Because, I mean, you were an insurance guy and a business guy and you were giving yeah. business talks. And now it's like you're talking to presidential candidates and all the people I'm talking to. I was a comedian. Like the idea of fame was like built into the yeah. – I never was doing it to be – Maybe subconsciously I was. I wasn't consciously doing it that way. But like fame was going to be an extension of what I did. You go into insurance, you're not going, I'm going to be famous one day. Yeah, yeah. No, listen. To be famous in insurance, it means nothing. (laughs) It means you did something really illegal. (laughs) For you to be, wow, what a famous insurance agent, right? The way he signed that contract is just incredible, right? That guy moved a lot (laughs) of freaking paper. There is no like sports. Patrick Bed David, watch the way he signed his insurance policy. There's no such thing like that, right? It's kind of weird. So, no, I, but I think what I like about it is the evolution of it, where it wasn't sudden. What is very tough yeah. is no one knows who you are, and boom, here we go. Like Dion's son, son right now, you're seeing the amount of fame he's getting, yeah. but he's had the best mentor to coach him for, Dion, because Dion was, you know, the face, you know, the, the greatest athlete, yeah. uh, I would say of all time, what he's done, just athlete, not winner, athlete, the greatest. I put him number one, I put Bo two. I put LeBron three, the greatest winners of all time. I got MJ and Brady at the top, then it's a couple other guys. You think that's purely because this is a side You think that's just purely two-sport athleticism? Oh, his 40, his, his, the way he played. You're hitting 324 yeah. for the Atlanta Braves. And you know how hard that? 92? Yeah, 92, 93, 90, that whole team with, I think it was Pendleton, Galarraga, all those guys that they had. David Justice, I think that's the year. All the crazy pitchers, Smoltz, Clavin, Maddox they had. So, yeah, but, but to me, some people don't have the coaching of fame. So you see some of these guys on social media where they all of a sudden get fame and they start acting dumb. Mm-hmm. And they act, act uh, uh, you know, but, you know, we have to also be patient for some of them because they're going to go through it. For us, the advantage we have is it's not like all of a sudden a thousand people are waiting outside saying, oh, my God, Dave. It starts off with, are you that guy? Uh, yeah, are you that you guy? You start off with that guy. Or you look like that you guy. You look like that you guy. You look like Dave Rubin. That's I'm like, wow. Well, you know what? Man. I love to say, I said, no, it's actually my twin, bro. I can't stand the guy. If you only knew who he was, you wouldn't <laughs> like him as much because you need to know the truth about him. But no, the, the benefit we have, it's evolution. It's slow. It's gradual. Then there is the boom. But by that time, you've been, you've been trained. Can I tell you the wackiest one of those that I saw sure. was a guy that you've interviewed and met many times, Jordan Peterson. You know what? I was touring with him for a year and a half. And think about it, this guy's a clinical psychologist. So he spent most of his life, he was teaching also, but spent most of his life helping people get off drugs, one-on-one like this, privately. Then he becomes basically the most famous person in the world overnight. And everywhere we went, we'd get to airports in Sweden and there'd be 200 people waiting for us because they got their life in order. And he would talk to every single one of them. I never saw the guy be rude or ignore or walk away from anybody. And it was like... But I will tell you this. Jeez. But I'll tell you this. I also will say he also didn't know how to handle it. Hear to, me out. To an extent. Hear yeah. me out. So I was with him during that. Yeah. So I remember, not, not from the you know, arrogant, and I'm not talking that side yeah. at all. I'm yeah. talking about, you know, one day I'm, I'm having him on. And for about 30 minutes, he talked about how much tweets bother him. Yeah. And he really didn't like what people were saying on Twitter. And I was kind of shocked by him saying this. This is five years ago, first time I had him on the show. And then I brought him back at an event in 2019, 
at the Mirage. This is the event where we had President Bush, Kobe Bryant, the late mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant. This uh, is I, I that event. That, yeah. This is that event, and he's speaking, and he's crying half the time. I'm like, he's going through something. And I asked him a couple questions. I'm like, he's going through something. That's the last interview he does. And then he goes okay. through the phase that he went through. And he openly talked about how he dealt with it, how challenging it was for him. And then the, the comeback on what he's done and what his daughter's done, uh, both of them. I mean, they're, they're, they're formal. Obviously, Jordan Peterson is a powerhouse. He's a you know, force of nature. And he's duplicating it with his daughter. And that's where the respect goes that your daughter is carrying the torch, and I can only imagine where she's gonna be later on in life. She's already crushing it, but imagine what that's gonna be in 10 years. So I wanna to talk to you about that Kobe thing. We talked about it one other time when you yep. were on the show, but it's, so you basically did the last, was it the last interview with Kobe? Or was it the wasn't last, the last. It was the certainly last the last big, big right. interview with Kobe. Yes. Kobe, we're both basketball guys. We we picked our top fives. I still think mine beats yours, but that's where we do that later. Uh, but Kobe, when the day, I think maybe I told you this privately, I can't remember, two or three days before he died, I was watching, uh, just flicking the channels, and I flicked past, I lived in LA at the time, and I flicked past Comcast Sports or whatever, whatever the Lakers are on, and I saw Kobe, and I hadn't seen him in a while, he had a beard, and he looked like a million bucks. That was my thought, he looks like a million bucks, and I stopped and I watched, and just the way he spoke, that calmness that he spoke with, and always licking his lips, mm -hmm. and like he was just ready to mm -hmm. chew the world, and I watched for about five minutes, and I swear to God this is true. I remember thinking, this is a guy who has done life right. It, that was either the day or two days before he was dead. And then the day he died, I saw it on Twitter. I immediately began to tear up. I was actually, I was on tour with Jordan at the time. I was about to get in uh, an Uber. I get in the Uber, and it's a young black guy as the driver. Mm -hmm. He's hysterical crying, because he must have just found mm -hmm. out at that moment. Hysterical crying. I said to him, I, I know, I know, it's Kobe, I know. And I was very early, so I said, "Why don't we don't have to go anywhere for a while. You want to just talk about Kobe for a while. And we spent about a half hour. Get out of here. I swear wow. to God, just talking about the 81-point game, the coming, you know, the Denver game when he flew in after the legal, mm -hmm. like everything, everything. And I remember thinking, like, man, that guy, two days ago, I'm thinking he's living the dream. He's done, he, the, mm -hmm. whatever the secret mm -hmm. of the universe is, he unlocked it. Mm -hmm gone like that, and you sat with him and, and had one of the, I think, one of the best interviews that he's ever had. I don't even know what my question is other than, what do you do with that? Yeah. What do you do with that concept? Yeah, you know, Kobe's an August 23rd, 1978 baby. I'm an October 18, 1978 baby. We're six weeks Man, apart, I remember. Kids. I'm 76, look at you're you. You're 76, but you look younger than me. You look, you look better than me. No. the moisture here in so, South Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when he came and they traded him, for Vlade Diva. Vlade Diva. Obviously, yeah. we were devastated. We didn't want to lose Vlade because yeah. Vlade is a top five center, greatest center of all time. Uh, hence what? the sarcasm, hardcore sarcasm. <laughs> wow, you see, you that didn't it. get by me. Come on, from top five center. He was good, he was a good passer. I loved you Vlade, know, uh, yeah, but no, he's no. not Kobe. Slow, I love yeah, when he yeah. scored the points, put his hands behind his back, he won two Magic Johnson. I just love Vlade. I would have never lived that down if I had missed that. Yeah. That would have been. <laughs> so, so you know, top five Czechoslovakia or or Yugoslavia. Yeah. I guess. yeah, and by the way, I think he's a GM or something for Sacramento. I don't know if, I don't know if he still is or not, but yeah. I I like his swagger. And those Sacramento it, teams are awesome. Different yeah, 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 phenomenal. Him, yeah. Christie, and all those guys. You know, Stojakovic, great yeah. team. But you know, it, it was like I'm gonna go this place. I'm not an athlete. You're gonna go this place. But listen, man, I'm gonna bring the Mamba mentality in my own way in the insurance space. And boom. 
And then later on, 2019, there's a video of me dressed as Doc from uh, uh, Back to the Future. Uh, uh, and it's a video. I'll show it to you afterwards because yeah. it's not public. And I'm saying one day, this is 2011. I have Doc's hair. I'm wearing the whole thing. This event we're running. I brought the DeLorean. I'm doing a whole skit from stage with myself and a couple of our guys, John, Fred Terrace, and all these guys. We're doing what we're doing. And I said, one day, 2011, I haven't even started a YouTube channel yet. And I said, one day, the great Kobe Bryant will be on our show and we'll be having him interview and da 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 da. So that vision was casted eight years later. Kobe's at the event. Our guys can't believe this is happening. And he comes in. Hour and a half we spend in a conference room together before he hits the stage. He talks to Dylan for 15 minutes. Dylan at the time was five years old. He talks to Jen for 15 minutes. They have the best conversation together. Then a 70-year-old woman, 75-year-old woman comes in, very nicely put together, and he runs up to her. They hug each other and they have the nicest conversation where you can tell the level of respect and love he has for her. And I don't know who she was, but there was a certain level of uh, 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 relationship towards each other. And he says, uh, so, Pat, uh, do these types of uh, interviews live make you nervous? I said, no, nah, I'm good. He says, ah, me neither. I played in front of 20,000 people. I said, no, nah, I totally get it. I mean, you're Kobe. I don't see you, but I'm good at this point. Then we hit the stage. A thousand people run up. We had to call the security. The benefit we had, because the president was coming, we had 100 secret <laughs> service, so everything was pushing him out. And then we sat down, we did the interview. And obviously, the rest is history. But the day when he passed away, we were at Seasons 52 in Dallas, in Plano. And my phone says, Kobe Bryant, helicopter. Jennifer looks at CNN, we're like, what? Then I go to ESPN, what? Twitter, because you know sometimes these yeah, hoax, you're and, like, this is not funny. It. You can't believe it. And then Dylan is like, wait, my friend Kobe? So, yeah, I mean, I was pretty wild. But you know what it is, what, what you're saying here? That's the whole concept where you have to enjoy the process, even when you're in the grind driving, to know that at any point this can be taken away from you, yeah. just enjoy it. Because in some ways, people take that message and say that that's why I don't work that hard. Why it's the purpose of working that hard. If I know I'm going to die one day, why am I doing all this stuff? That's also not the right way of thinking. I want to work hard with the people I love and using the talents that God gave me. But if he takes me today, I'm good as well. Because at the end of the day, you have no clue what that day is going to be. Do you, uh, do you consider yourself political? Because we're crossing paths now a lot, and, and the type of people that are watching us are, are very similar in the, in the political sense of things. But I can never tell if you really are political. Like, I saw you at the GOP debate. That's a pretty political thing. I go on your show. We talk about politics. Uh, you, wait, you didn't do the DeSantis thing yet, right? It was, no. it was scheduled, but, they, then, they but then the hurricane, three times, yeah. the hurricane yes. hit also. Because yes. he, was, he was going to you, and then he was coming to me that right. afternoon. Right. And then, and then the hurricane hit. But, but obviously, you're, you're political in the things that you talk about. But do you consider yourself a, a political person? What, what does a political person mean? What, what, how well, that you, you really that? like you like you really like the game of politics. Oh, I you do. really like the um, not like you. You're passionate about the issues. Like you really think do. about all yeah. of the issues. And I do. My parents got a divorce. You know, so I watch these guys get two divorces and remarry each other twice. Right. And she Wait, was what? They my they parents got married. Married and divorced. They twice? got married. My sister's born. They get a divorce. Two years later, they remarry. I'm born. Then they get a divorce again. That's my and that was it, though. They didn't get and back that together was it. And after Done. that. They can't. If they're in the same room, wow. they're going to resurrect the guy. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. We're, so, we're I mean, movie people. So, but my mother's side, a lot of them were communists. And my dad's side, a lot of them were imperialists. These guys loved the Shah. They hated the Shah. These guys, 
you know, loved capitalism, they hated capitalism. They loved Karl Marx. That was their Bible. Stalin, he was a great leader for Russia, USSR. All these rich, greedy people in America, all they care about is money. We care about family. Why would you work that hard? You should come home and come home at 3 o'clock and have watermelon and cheese and cut it up and sit down and have a conversation together. Who cares about the car you drive? Who cares about this, 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 that? And I watched this. So for me, I, I didn't like politics because I saw the fact that the two people I loved the most got a divorce because of politics. But then, was that, that was really it. It oh, was, it oh, was, it was oh, deep brother, down it political. Was, oh, my wow. God. I mean, one of them, their philosophy was rich people are greedy and all they care about is money. And the other one was poor people are lazy. Like, you just can't get over that. It's you, just like And that. that was just ingrained. And But at that time, it wasn't politics. It was more like, why did these guys, why'd you guys get married in the first place? I'm mm-hmm. thank God you did, but why'd you get married in the first place? What was the whole purpose behind it? So then I go to Germany and then we come to the States. And when I come to the States... I go to the army, and then I'm, that was the first time where military, you know, stuff was going on, President Bush and Clinton and all this kind of stuff was going on. And I'm like, interesting what's going on here. Then I went into financial services and started competing, and then I realized politics is involved in insurance, Department of Insurance. Mm-hmm. Politics is involved in being a cop, being a firefighter, running a business, regulation, financial industry, SEC, NASD. It's involved everywhere. And then when we were a small insurance company, politics doesn't do anything for you or not. You're small. Nobody cares who you are. You're tiny. Then when we got bigger, and then all of a sudden we have a business that's national. We're appointed in 49 states, and we have offices all over the country, a few hundred offices. Then you notice there's a lot of politics involved. <laughs> all the guys that were all nice to you, and now they're like, you know, oh, you can build anything you want. You can be as big as you want. And then they're like, oh, shit, he actually became as big as they wanted. Now it's like you, you took business away from us and you're this and you're that. I'm like, oh, so there is politics. Mm-hmm. Then you go and you start studying. I had dinner with George Will in 2009, March, with uh, Claremont Institute. And I go to this event and I watch what, you know, he's talking about with Larry Arn and Larry Greenfield and all these guys. And I'm going to these events with the owner of public storage at, you know, Malibu. And I'm having these meetings with John Voigt and you know, Larry, uh, uh, Dennis Prager's coming. Then I launch a show in 2009 with KKLA, KRLA called Saving America. A year later, I shut it down because my San Francisco office closed down. They said, I cannot believe you started a show. And, you know, how dare you do this kind of, I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on with politics? Then one day I'm in my office in Woodland Hills. Yeah, who is this? Yeah, you're, you owe a, a you know, tax assessor. We're here. You owe us 85, whatever, $85,000. So for what? You're in a district, you have to pay. You're grown, your business has grown, this is how much money you have. I said, what are you talking about? I call my accountant who's downstairs uh, under you know, our floor, eighth floor. I say, hey, what is this all about? He says, well, if they caught you and they're coming around, they knock on doors that are grown, it's hit and miss. If they don't come to you, you don't have to pay it. Wow. But if they come to you and they know you're a grown business, they can tax you. LA, you're in this district. I said, are you serious? So we have to pay this check. Then I said, what districts don't they have this? 13 of them, Victorville, Santa Monica, Burbank, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, I'm going to go to Burbank Glendale. So we move our headquarters to Burbank Glendale so I don't have to <laughs> worry about this. And we're in Glendale at the New York Life Building. And then all of a sudden I'm like, nope, we're not staying here. Um, Time Magazine comes out with the article, United States of Texas. Then we go to Texas. We have a meeting with Governor Perry, with Mayor Masso from Frisco. It was the fastest growing city in Texas. Yeah. Then we go to a Rangers game with Nolan Ryan, and we watch how these guys are recruiting businesses to Texas. This is when Rick Perry would go to California. He would do radio shows. If you don't like the business, they're taking care of you. We're going to take care of you here in Texas. And we're like, okay, great. So then we moved to Texas. We fell in love with Texas. 
And then COVID happens, politics goes to a whole different level. My content was always around business, mafia, interviews. It was not yeah. a political thing. Then all of a sudden, politics becomes relevant on what we're doing with COVID. And then I said, no. We're, so so your, we're politics get were, your politics were probably, were, you were kind of right-leaning in that you were probably for small Capitalist. government. Right. Yes. Less regulation, less taxes, yes. blah, blah, blah. Then COVID hits. That's what basically drove us both here. Yes. I had a pretty freaking good yep. life in LA. Yep. And then on whatever that day was, March 17th or whatever it was, two weeks to stop the spread, day two, I was like, this place is never coming back. And you know, I, I fought very hard. I campaigned with Larry Elder for the recall. And I don't know if I've told you this, you know that three days after the recall, you know what happened? Hmm. You talk about getting a knock on your door from the tax man? I got audited by the state of California after I publicly was backing Larry Elder and campaigning. Makes sense. I put my house for sale that day. That day. Like, that tells you all you need to know. So isn't that a weird thing about how your, your life better match up with your politics? Otherwise, yeah. you're in a lot of trouble. See, I have a problem with that because for me, and what I mean by I have a problem with that is I have a problem with bullies. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, so here's what's going on today. You know, believe it or not, the majority will forgive people lying to them, the government lying to them. They'll get over it. They'll cry about it, but they'll get over it. The majority will even tolerate being taken advantage of. <laughs> if you think about it, yeah. it's been going on in America. Yeah. I can't believe you're doing it. You're not going to do nothing about it. You're going to go back to your state in California and not leave. In California, it's gonna be, you ain't leaving anyways. You so will, stop. You will tweet about it angrily. But for you're a not going to do nothing. Do there anything. is no action. Yeah. It's just yeah. Yeah. Watch, watch what I'm going to do. Watch. Oh yeah, I'm going to punch you in the face. Go ahead. Yeah. What? 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 Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you get back in your car and you leave. Right. That's most people in California. But here's the problem. You cross the line with kids. Yeah. You just woke up an animal, because a mother went through 40 weeks. So mothers automatically, most vested thing you're going to be in your life is carrying a, a human being for 40 weeks. You haven't gone through the pain. You want to groom my kids? I'm good, man. We're not going to do this. So all of a sudden, what the hell happened to this guy's, you know, rage? I've never seen you be like this. What happened to all these mothers? What happened to all these parents? California, UK, you know, Texas, New York, what, what, they're waking up. So here's a part. For most part, most people, there, there's a saying that says, whatever you don't hate, you learn to tolerate. Most people just don't like it. Mm -hmm. you know? But a few of us have a lower tolerance level for you crossing the line. What, what, what do you, before, I want you to continue, but what do you think that is about us? Like now I know, now as a father, I know a new layer yeah. of it, but what do you think that is? What do you think it is about you that is just like, I will be one of the people that will call out the bullshit? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that question. I would say for me, uh, uh, it's, it's either in your DNA, it's either you know, you've gone through losing things in the past or you've had a moment in your life where you weren't paranoid and you lost it all and you're like, damn, I should have been paranoid or you were too tolerant and things were taken away from you, or you were kind of like, yeah, he's gonna be here all the time, and then boom, he's no longer, he dies or she dies. So you, you have a different level of parent. Like when you read Musk's book, you realize why he's doing what he's doing, because of the pain he's gone through. Some of us have lived a harder life where we, you know, we, we are willing to use that pain to do something about it. But what I am saying is the fact that the 
the, the, so I used to pray for four things, right? For longest time. It's always been, as the David family, we lead, respect, we improve, we love. We don't get bullied, and we don't bully. And we pray for four things. Courage, wisdom, tolerance, understanding. Courage, because if your vision is big, you're going to do something big. You're going to face certain things that you don't know how to handle. You need courage. Wisdom, if you're planning on leading everybody, you're going to sometimes lead people smarter than you. And older than you, you need wisdom. Tolerance, because, you know, people are annoying at times. you got to tolerate them. And last but not least, understanding. Everyone's dealing with something, so it's good to have some understanding, right? But the tolerance part, I'm not praying about it anymore. I skipped through it. I said, God, I ask you to give me courage, wisdom, and understanding. I don't want tolerance. Why not? The reason why I don't want tolerance is because tomorrow I have a big show on uh, uh, PPD Podcast. And I'm, by the way, we've been working on this for months, and it got ugly, but we finally pulled it off. I have two Muslims coming on the podcast, and I have two Christians coming on the podcast. Hmm. Till this morning, it wasn't happening. Both camp backed out and backed out, and we had to change some names because they couldn't get their passports. But we finally got them to be here tomorrow, okay? So we're doing this conversation together. And my goal is, we can have a friendly conversation. You know, what about this with Prophet Muhammad? What about this with, you know, jihad? And what about this with Christians? This and what about this with, and what about this? And what about this? No problem. What do Jews, Christians, and Muslims have in common? That's my interest. We can have the religion debate. Let's do it. Great. By the way, everybody could be wrong. <laughs> and everybody could be right. And only one person could be right. Yeah. And we don't know. That's why it's called faith. Yeah. Faith is believing Leap in something of. that we have not seen, right? It's yeah. faith. Now, I'm a man of faith. I believe in God. The risk I'm taking is being non-denominational Christian. I could be wrong, but that's what I'm banking on, right? I will not know till I die. Now, there's been many moments in my life to validate that I've chosen the right faith, but that's one-on-one, -on -one, right? I can't. I can simply tell my testimony. You can say, you know what? What a powerful testimony. Let me consider it as well, but it's one-on-one, -on -one, right? Okay. Look what's going on. Uh, like when I study numbers, I'm like, how are 74% of Muslims voting Democrat? Makes no sense to me. How? How? Why are Christians so critical of the Muslim religion? Yet, just so you know, Christians, by 2060, the world's going to have 10 billion people. 3 billion is going to be Muslim. That's 31%. And most of the Senate and the House will be Muslims. How could you say something like that? Because they have 2.9 kids per woman, and you don't. Because they have more kids than you. Because they're more vested in their faith and more intolerant about disrespecting their faith. And Christians are more tolerant. Christians are more... By the way, look, look what's happening in Glendale, the place that you used to Ooh, work. And Armenians I, I are not tolerant. There. No, no, but the, yeah. but the Muslims and Armenians of, of Glendale decided to stand up against the And I the love woke. that. Yeah, and that I, was amazing. And that's exactly And what, the left didn't know what to do with it. And right? I love that. Yeah. I, that's my whole purpose, the premise of what I'm trying to do with these guys tomorrow. I trust it's going to be fiery, but I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to say, look, if, if religion's where you want to compete, then go have more kids. You're not doing it. You're going to lose. Just so you know, you're going to lose because they don't tolerate disrespect to their religion. You do. They have more kids. They believe in having more kids and spreading their values and principles. You don't. You're going to lose. It's just going to happen if it goes this way. Now, that's one part. Set that aside. What's the other part? Muslims. Why 74% Democrat? Why? Just because of one policy? You vote them just because of one policy. What's the one policy? Just because Republicans are a little bit more pro-Israel, so you go this way? 
Seriously? That's the only reason? Which, by the way, on the war front, the parties have completely flipped. But uh, that Completely yeah, yeah, flipped, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so I'm trying to get if that's that. that's the argument, yeah. I'm trying to get that conversation for them to, are you on the same page with XYZ? Yes, are you on the same page? Well, what's going on? Yes. Are you pro-marriage? Are you pro-family? Are you pro-this? Are you pro-that? Yes. Listen, guys, what are we doing? Because the scariest thing's going to happen to globalists and the establishment, if all of a sudden they see Jews, Christians, and Muslims being on the same page, they're going to be like, wait a minute, guys. No, no, no. You guys can't get along. <laughs> yeah. We've worked so hard to make sure you guys hate each other. We have to keep these guys hating each other. Spread a rumor. Bring an old tweet. Did you see what he said about Jews? Did you see what he said about Muslims? Did you see what he said about Christians? And I was like, yeah, and stoke more fire. And that's why we can't like this guy. I'm trying to get these guys because of Christians, Jews, and Christians. Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Come like this. I think they're gonna be shivering, can saying, I, how the hell do we go up against these guys now? Can I give you a good one that maybe you can drop yeah. with these guys tomorrow, yeah. is that I took my whole team, we did uh, a week in Israel, and then we went to Hungary, and we went to Jerusalem, first four days in Jerusalem. Guess what the most surprising thing about Jerusalem was What's to that? me? It wasn't religion, obviously there's religious people. It was the peace. There are Muslim women in hijabs, walking next to ultra-Orthodox Jewish guys, hats, Muslim nurses going to school, and the Jews walking by, and Orthodox Christians, and Greek Orthodox, and everyone's doing it. And yes, some bad stuff happens occasionally. Find out what should happen in Chicago this weekend, and it's far worse. But the level of coexistence and peace, yeah. it felt peaceful to me. That's what I kept saying to the guys. Well, isn't this peaceful? I love that. I love that. Peaceful. Yeah, I love and that. that's the thing that you're basically asking for and looking for. Yeah. So, I mean, look at our show, right? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking to Chris Cuomo and we're building a relationship together. I'm not supposed to get along Chris Cuomo for a lot of different things policy-wise. But then I'm having conversations I've, I've with... I've made fun of that guy an awful lot on this show. I think we all have. And he's made fun of us. And by the way, guess what? Game. You know, we're, we're, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't care if you make fun of me. I'm okay. Yeah. Sometimes you, I deserve to be made fun of. Sometimes you deserve to be made fun of. Sometimes he deserves to be made fun of. That's part of the game. You know, when you're playing basketball and, you know, uh, Barkley elbows Jordan in the rib and then Jordan does back, hey, you know what? I'm a competitor. You are too. Great. Your goal should be to kick my ass. And my goal is to give a fight. Now, Barkley never got a ring. Jordan took it, and the two years he had a chance, Olajuwon took it. No problem, right? <coughs> That's right. I see that over there. Just so you know, it's the first there thing was another like, guy on that Olajuwon team. Thank you. Drexler, a top 50 player of all time. You know, a, well, yes, I would say top 50, okay. top, top yeah. 20 of the 80s and 90s. I don't. He's not top 20. 20 I, I think he's, he's top he's not 15. He's not no, top eight, 20 of all time. He's, a, he's top 15, 80s and 90s, in my opinion. Oh. That guy was a for 10 year period. I think he's top 15. Thank monster, you. monster. 28 point season average. You know, whatever. So going back to it. I think it's okay to grapple and fight. I think it's okay. Like, you know, one of the things we can learn from the UFC is these guys are talking shit to each other. And at the end of the fight, they get on their knees and they hug each other. Like, yeah. dude, you have to know for showmanship, Dana White needs a fight, but he's okay if you want to hug after the fight. Mm -hmm. But up until that point, he wants to fight. We want the fight as fans. We want you to hate each other up till the fight. And then afterwards, guess what we all want to see? As weird as this sounds, you love these guys. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And then at the end of the, hey, boom, head to head. 
We get emotional. Did you, did you ever see, I haven't thought about this in 20 years, did you ever see there was an interview that Mike Tyson did after one of his fights? He beats somebody senseless, like, yeah. you know, at the peak of Tyson yeah. when he was just yeah. six-second fights. Like, he beat someone senseless. I can't remember who it was. And remember Jim Gray was the NBC sports guy at the time, and they would just throw him out there. And Jim Gray was this little, like, little kind of frail white guy, and he'd get in the ring with all these big guys, and he looked afraid all the time. And he'd get there, he'd be like, what do you think of the fight? And Mike Tyson said exactly what you just said. He said, he's got a family to feed. I've got a family to feed. This is what we do. This is why see, we see, do it. That's the part. Yeah. And Jim Gray's like, yeah, that's not the answer he wants. Yeah. So, but, yeah. but guess what? We don't want that answer before the fight. We want it after the fight. We're okay with that. So, so for, for me, I wanted to create a safe space where people from the left, the right, the middle can come and talk. People who are Democrats who don't want to talk politics, but they're sports, they're TV, they're celebrities, they feel safe coming and talking, right? You know, people who are uh, uh, athletes, they, they feel safe coming and talking and, you know, doing what they're doing. But it's like, you know what? I don't agree with Pat, but you know, I like his approach. I don't agree with such and such, but I like their approach. Cool, no problem. So it's more trying to go like this. I think we've gone like that. I think we need to bring, so this book, one of the best books I've ever read that no one ever read. You know, the guy sold seven copies and I bought all seven of them. <laughs> this book is called Barbarians to Bureaucrats, written by Lawrence Miller. I've probably, over title. the last That's 13 years, have probably sold 30,000 copies of this guy's book. Every chance I get, I recommend this book, right? It was written late. If you can get a copy good for you, it's hard to find one. So he talks about the evolution every society and company goes through, okay? So he says, you know, uh, uh, you know in every great business, there's three people. There is the entrepreneur, the businessman, and the son of a bitch, okay? Every great, and he explains how Steve Jobs had an element of a son of a bitch, but, you know, the other guy was more the product guy. So, okay. And he says, so here's the evolution. First, there's a prophet. The prophet sells a vision. One day, like that Jack Ma video, we're going to build Alibaba. And da -da. You've seen that video, yeah, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. one day, he's the prophet, Steve Jobs. One day, we are different, right? You know, it's Benjamin Matt, Matt Rush. Damon in Air, which I know you're big on the movie Air. Sonny Vaccaro, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Michael, no one's going to remember us. They're going to remember you. But you're going to go through just like you go up. You're going to fall. And we're going to be here for you. And da-da-da-da. What a freaking speech, right, when he gave yeah. me that movie. I got the yeah. chills when I, I watched the movie three you times in the first week. You took your whole team to that after, Twice, right? twice. Yeah, it great. was powerful. I saw it after you, you were so high on it, and I was yeah. like, all right, I got to see it. And by it. the yeah. way, the day after that, when Tucker, because uh, the movie came out when Tucker was fired from Fox, mm -hmm. we sent one of our guys, and he was outside of Tucker's house, I can say now, for three days, dropping a note saying, PBD and Valley Timmy wants to make an offer to you. Oh, and you did make an offer. We 100% made an yeah. offer to him. We made it public offer. We, you know, every kind of offer. Yeah. But it is what it is. He's doing a great job right now. He's a formidable voice, very necessary voice. So the point is, you know, he says, first there's a prophet. Then there's the barbarian, who's the guy that's willing to go do the fight. Then there's the builder and explorer. They build technology or they explore a new market. Then there's the administrator. Then comes the next phase, which is a problematic phase. So prophet, barbarian, builder, explorer, administrator bureaucrat, aristocrat. America today is filled with bureaucrats and aristocrats. Mitch yeah. McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi. These guys that have been around for so long, they don't want to give up their card of being a congressman or a senator. Dirty aristocrats and bureaucrats that are ruining America. But he says the way you save it when it's about to fall is it needs synergists. Synergists know how to revive, revive, you know, re-energize a nation, a company, America today desperately needs more synergists. Synergists are not about saying, you're a moron, you're an idiot, what a dumbass, what a stupid this. 
synergists are saying, I disagree. But you have the right to agree with, here's what my thoughts are. Here's what I believe. So our goal as Vitamin is doing what it's doing on PBD Podcast. We're trying to bring these guys here. If you guys disagree, cool, let's talk about it. Yeah. Great. That's kind of what the approach we're taking. Are, are you amazed that these guys are holding on as long as they're holding on? When you see last week, Pelosi, I'm running again. Yeah. Mitch McConnell literally freezing up in front of microphones. Yeah. Feinstein doesn't know where she is. They have to tell her what to say. Biden, obviously, something's wrong. Fetterman, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And that's across party lines, yep. by the way. Yep. Like, are you amazed that it's just... Or it's just, that's, that's kind surprised. of the point. That's kind surprised. of the point. I mean, look at this. You know, a lot of times when, you know, uh, the establishment in sports wants to criticize the current players, right? And they defend themselves from the past because it's easy to do that. And they never want to give credit to the newer guys, right? Mm -hmm. That one video of Elon Musk crying when he's do doing a 60-minute interview and he's like, hey, does it hurt you the fact that these men were your heroes and now they're criticizing you? I don't know if you've ever seen this mm -hmm. or not. Oh, oh. I don't think so. It's, I it's amazing. It. Wow. It's amazing. You have to watch this. Yeah. This is when Tesla's like barely coming up. Every day is being criticized. And he's crying. So does it hurt you that these are men you respect and you admire? Yes. It hurts a lot. That they're saying what they're saying about you. Yes. And then you're like, dude, look what he's built. Look yeah. what he's doing, right? So for, for me, I think I'm not surprised that that's taking place. But we need changes. And we need some bold leaders to have the audacity to go out there and do the fight. And, and they're going to rise up, Dave. They're going to rise up. So th that's actually a great segue to a little of the Trump-DeSantis thing that I wanted to do with you because you've mentioned, you mentioned before, DeSantis, they've moved it on you a couple times. I have no doubt it's going to happen. You've, you've met him privately. Okay, fine. My sense with you and DeSantis is that you like him a lot on policies. You moved here because of Florida. You seem to think he has some kind of marketing thing, and I think that's probably right. I think that's probably right, that there's a, Trump is a the brilliant marketer, and it's kind of messy below the hood. And DeSantis, the policies are, below the hood, it's all great, but there's a marketing issue there. Is that what you're seeing? Is that kind of like a rough estimation of kind of where you Well, first of all, I made DeSantis first son, thanks to you. You sent yeah. the invite, and I was in Dallas. I came, I want to make sure people know to give you the credit. So I was in Dallas, I got on, I came visit, and then boom, we flew back to Dallas. I had an event going on in Dallas, if you remember that. So. Yeah, so, I mean, look, the other day I had Larry Elder on, yeah. which you and I both have a lot of respect Love for LD. Larry and what he's done, right? And Candace Owens on, was on same week, yeah. Elder and then Candace. I asked uh, Larry, I said, Larry, do you think the profile of picking a candidate for president has changed? And I don't think it's changed. I said, do you think maybe you're wrong? No, you don't know what you're talking about. And we kind of got into a little. It was a friend, I mean, in, in our show, even if I agree with you, I want a little bit of banter. H how right? did you mean that question? Uh, Here's what I meant by yeah, Here's what I mean. You know how in 1964, whatever the year was when, uh, was it 60? I think it was 60 or 64. One of those where Nixon didn't shave and it was the first TV debate oh, ever. And the, the sweaty one. The and sweaty one. And Kennedy one. It's probably, it's got to be about 60, right? Yeah. yeah. So he and Nixon had, you know, Nixon didn't sleep. He had a four o'clock shave, you know. And John F. Kennedy went tanning, he slept 10 hours that night, had a good meal, looked good, calm, came, crushed it, right? Well, guess what? It changed. It went from needing a voice, because everybody's like, listening to the radio, to now, radio in your face, oh my God, he looks to uh, 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 Nixon, right? Who's probably more qualified to be president? Nixon. <laughs> Nixon was more qualified to be president. Yeah. But he yeah. lost, because yeah. the game changed. So America wanted to see somebody that was young, eccentric, attractive, well-spoken, calm, you know, carried you know, himself very well. Okay, today versus then, if you go back and study what percentage of the uh, uh, 
campaign they funded. The top people that put the most money in their campaign, Trump is at the top, I believe. Then I want to say it's John F. Kennedy. His dad said he would spend all the money he has to do the campaign. He ended up spending like 40% of the entire campaign with their own money. Reagan spent like 9% or 7%. You know, obviously, uh, uh, Al Gore, uh, not Al Gore, uh, uh, Ross Pro spent a lot of his mm -hmm. own money, whatever, with 50%. Hillary Clinton, 0% of her own money. Biden, 0% of her own money, his, his money. And uh, you know Obama, pretty much these three, it's 0% of their own money. Those that are zero, they're establishment. Mm -hmm. Okay, that spends 0% of their money because they owe the most favors. Mm -hmm. Okay, so today's profile to be a president. Let's take a look. Number one, America, we are very close to the majority not wanting a pro-establishment candidate. So to be an anti-establishment candidate, you need to have a few money. That's number one. Bloomberg had a few money, more than any other candidate that ever ran. What was he missing? Charm. Okay, so you need to be able to persuade and charm. He couldn't do it. Can I tell you something quick about yeah, Bloomberg? Sure. Which is that I, and I said this to Trump the night that I met Trump, that I believed from day one, and I really think I'm right, that Bloomberg only ran as a decoy for Biden that Biden was number one at the time, and they needed Biden to get through the debates, and they knew he couldn't debate, and he was crumbling and all that, and they needed to deflect, so they threw Bloomberg up there. He willingly did it. Because you remember those two debates that he was in? Terrible. Where they, but it was all about whether he sexually harassed a secretary, and that's what they spent the entire debate. So instead of Biden Brilliant. having to defend himself, I, I truly believe Brilliant. that. You know what Trump said to me when I said it? Uh, Trump goes, he goes like this, he goes, he goes, ah, you're, you know, actually, that's pretty good. And then he turns to Melania. He says, Melania, can you tell him? Uh, he says to me, he says, can you tell her, uh, tell the first lady what you just said? I said it to Melania, and she kind of nods, and he goes, ah, Bloomberg just hates me. <laughs> I mean, that but I really well. think there was something to no, that. I, I, but I'm, yes, he was miss, he was defi regardless. He was deficient of yeah. the stuff. So yeah. if you look at the golf score, you got a few money which causes you to not be pro-establishment. This is why Vivek is getting some momentum right now. This is why RFK is getting momentum right now. This is why Trump won in 2016. This is why Rasper got the kind of numbers that he got that caused George Bush Sr. to mm -hmm. lose and Clinton to win. This is why Reagan did well. This is why JFK did well. Anyways, I can go on. You get the idea, right? So you need charm. Then you need to be able to have a uh, run rate of being uh, uh, having fame or influence. So Vivek, a year ago, nobody knew who Vivek was. Some, some people in our space knew, but most yeah. people didn't know who Vivek was a year ago, right? So he started late. Vivek's going to be a formidable candidate in 2028. He's going to be because he's going to continue whatever he does next. He's going to be having 10 times the amount of followers. He's going to write a couple more books. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to be ready for 2027, mm -hmm. 2028. Okay. Formidable candidate. What's the next one? So we got FU money, we got charm, we got, you know, run rate of being famous, okay, that your people know who you are. Then policies, okay, policies. Um, if you take policies, who do we put at the top with policies? Trump? Do we put DeSantis? Tim Scott? Nikki Haley? Who do we put at the top? I think DeSantis could go against anybody with policies. Mm -hmm. Hands down. I mean, listen, his record is the best when it comes down to Florida. That's why you and I are here. At the end Based of the day, where record. do people come and where do people go? No question about Easy. it. That's the yeah. record. And then the last one is that, that I added to the list was being able to create an issue that no one's thinking about. And, and let me explain what I mean by this. And I'm presenting this to Larry Elder. He's saying, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and by the way, I may be wrong. Yeah. I may be wrong, right? So what does this mean, you know, coming up with an issue that no one's thinking about? We got to build a wall. What? 
we, we got to build a wall to keep these rapists and all this. What the hell is he talking about we got to build a wall? I'm going to build a wall and I'm going to make Mexico pay for it. Dude, this just got even crazier now. When are you going to build a wall? Mexico is going to pay for the wall. <laughs> no one's like, you know, you sit yeah. there, you're like, all right, let me see. What are we going to campaign on? Uh, Health care. Uh, you know, uh, military foreign policy, oh, the, the war, or taxes, or economy. No, we're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. No one's even thinking about that, right? So the average candidate that runs, they hire some bullshit, you know, uh, uh, political you know, consultant, and they're, well, here's the, what's resonating with the audience, and da-da-da-da-da, and here's what you got to do. Okay, great. So... I think some of these guys just listen to those consultants too much and it screws the whole thing so up. So that's your criticism yeah. of DeSantis, that I, he's listened to these guys too much because the policy yeah. you obviously think is right. Oh, he will, so you kidding me? Like, oh, listen, let's put him in a room with no cameras and talk policies. You know what he's going to do? You know what he's going to do? I've done it. Yeah. I've done it. Oh, it's my incredible. God. No, I mean, yeah. I watched Newsom the other day on CNN. I don't know if you watched it, 32 minutes. I watched it. We played a portion of it's it. It's a clinic. He I did know, a clinic. He's so Fucking evil. It doesn't matter. He's evil. It doesn't matter. Say he's evil. But, you he know is he's evil. But, but forget about that. What I'm trying to tell yeah. you is yeah, I yeah. don't I care if that. he is. He did a clinic. The average person who <clears throat> doesn't follow what the hell is going on, they're going to say, this guy's presidential. Mm -hmm. He sits like this. Just watch how he sits. He sits no, like I this. No, I get it. At the it. end, he says, so are you going to run for office? Oh, no. Why would I run for office? <laughs> Do you realize just two years ago they recalled me talk about being humble? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that... You know, it's, it's attractive to the average person, not the person that's the policy wonk. So in a way, do you think we will always just get what we deserve in a, in a weird way? Because you're basically saying there are people who are good enough to do it, who would do it right, who right. would lead to a more prosperous Here's what I would be society. Doing. And then there's a show. And how do we arbitrage those two things? If I'm running the RNC, I'm the, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that's running the RNC. I wouldn't take this job. But I'm the guy that's from the RNC. Okay? They, they don't pay that much. You're no, doing no, I'm not. Yeah. Doing, I'm not yeah. Here's what I would do. Yeah. Okay. One of the only speakers I've ever brought to an event three times is Billy Bean from Moneyball. Hmm. Okay. He changed the game. Yeah. He won 21 games in a row. Brad Pitt played the movie, you know, the whole yeah, nine. Yeah. And uh, what is it? Jonah Hill, I think, plays the, 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 the Podesta yeah. or whatever, the guy that says the most important statistic is not a home run. The most important yeah, statistic is not done. It's on base percentage yeah. is what it is. Like, what are you talking about? No, don't trade him. Yeah, get that guy. Why that guy? 380 on base percentage, 410 on base percentage. What? He doesn't hit that well. On base percentage. He knows how to get walk. He keeps his elbow in. He gets hit. It's like, what the hell does an elbow have to do with it? Trust me. The only goal is to get on base, right? I would bring in 20 analysts, and I would spend millions of dollars, and I would tell them, put a golf score, put a list of 40 reasons why somebody becomes a president of the last you know, 50 years after TV, and now let's do after social media, because those are two different eras, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So what caused this guy to win and that guy to lose, okay? What was the mistake? Some of it's gonna be work ethic, campaigning, going out there like Hillary Clinton, just stopped campaigning. Trump was doing six rallies a day. She's doing right, one those week. last four days, she did nothing, yeah. he was out there. Yeah. But, 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 that, but Trump was campaigning six rallies a day during Biden, and he wasn't doing any, but it was a different story. That was a whole different game. We're not gonna get into that. You understand what I'm saying with that part. That was a, you know, a, a, a black swan event that took place, which is not something that's consistent. So I would take this golf score and I would keep eliminating the bottom 10. So we start off with 40 different things that we'd look at, statistics. Eliminate the bottom 10. 
eliminate the bottom 20, eliminate the bottom 30, then I got the top 10. Now I want to see what is the most important reason why somebody gets elected. Then I take the top five. Then what I do from running RNC, I go and I ask my guys, now this is a complete different job. I'm gonna ask my recruiters to say, I want you to give me a list of 50 names that meets these five criteria with a score. So run a golf score on a thousand people that could be potential presidents. Put Dave Rubin on that list, put Tucker Carlson on that list, put you know Ben Shapiro on that list, put Charlie Kirk on that list, put all these guys on that list and run a golf score. Boom. I'm gonna go talk to those 20 guys. Schedule time with them to come and talk to us. They'll come and sit down and talk to me. I think you ought to consider running for office. You're out of your mind, I'll never do it. Totally get it, can I show you something, what's that? Here's the data I got here for you. Do you love America? I do. How much do you love America? You okay if America becomes a shit show? No. How much are you okay with it? Are you a tolerant person? Are you willing to fight for it? I am. I think you need to run 2028. What are you talking about, Pat? I think if you love America, you gotta run. There's no way I'm gonna run. You actually have a shot. You're one of the only 20 people in America that has a shot. And my goal is to get the best top 20 formidable guys running for being a president. You're on that list. I'm gonna recruit, so it's no longer who they choose to run, who mm -hmm. we gotta recruit. Mm -hmm. We're just getting our options. We're like, ah, these are our best, shit, here we go. Instead, I'm gonna say no. Man, by the way, I'm not taking anything away from Tim, Sp uh, Tim Scott, I think he's a sweetheart. I'm not taking anything away from Nikki Haley. I thought he sh she showed up to the debate. Yeah. I'm not taking anything away from Ron or Vivek or what they're doing. But I believe we need to run it this way. Then we go sell the right guys into running. I don't think that's happening today. What do you do with the lies on both sides related to all of this? Because, look, I supported Trump. I've interviewed Trump. I, I like Trump in a lot of ways. And I will vote for him if he's running against the Democrat. So my cards are on the table. The lies about Florida, the lies about COVID, I, I could go on and on. The lies about Fauci and all that stuff. Like, what do you, what do, you do with that? You, you are someone that cares about truth. You've mentioned your faith several times. Like, what do you do about that? Because I think a lot of people are struggling with that right now. They're yeah. seeing the lies and they're having trouble kind of connecting that to the rest of their life totally or their it. ethos. And I, and, I, and, I, and I understand that, okay. Um, here's what I've learned. No matter, the more you study history, and whether you like this or not, you can rip this argument apart as much as you want. Some of the best people that fought for our freedom were complicated human beings, period. Misunderstood, complicated, complex personalities, weird upbringing, difficult to be around, strange people, weird habits, weird obsessions, strange vices, just purely complex people who saved the world. These are very weird people. Then you can look at the people that were proper people, the people you like, the people that all the things you and I value, that what a sweet man, what a this, what a that. They don't have the dogfight. I'm sorry, history doesn't favor perfection. The people that go out there and are willing to do the fight, they're not gonna fit the profile that everybody's looking for. Is Donald Trump one of the most complicated, complex, Strange people, you support them one day, next day, like, what are you talking about? She asks you a basic question. Do you know the difference? Can a man be a woman? Can a woman? Just say, <laughs> why are you taking five seconds to answer the question? Just yeah. say it. And, but you don't know why he's doing that. Is he playing with her? Is he playing with the audience? Did he just have a meeting 30 minutes before Megyn Kelly with his five people that are trying to figure out a way to give a new messaging because he's losing 3% of the vote in a... You don't know what he's thinking, but what you do know is everything he's doing is intentional. He doesn't wink. He's not a winger. 
he is a guy that will say, wait till you see what we're going to do. Wait till you see. Wait till you see. Wait till you see is kind of like a salesperson. Wait till you see. Wait till you see. Part of that is a visionary driver, future truth. Totally get that. But he is also a guy that's kind of watching everything and sizing everything up. And he's taking risk here. Then he adjusts. That message didn't work. Let me change this. Oh, that message worked. It's pissing off the right people. Let me poke on this guy. But to me, we're not going to get who we're like aspiring to get this perfect candidate. It's just not going to happen. So since uh, Trump has chosen an awful lot of enemies, I really like what we've done with this shot. Can we go to PBD's one shot? One shot. Look at that. We get the book right in there. That's very <laughs> nice. Choose your enemies wisely. Who, who are your enemies these days? I got a long list of them. I got a long list of them. Uh, for me, you know, a part of it is, um, you know, what people are doing to the greatest country in the world that changed my life. Um, I'm going to do my part with the fight against them the establishment in a big way. Uh, those that are targeting kids to confuse kids, I got four of them now. That's a very formidable opponent. The people that are- How, how much of that is happening? I mean, you're here in Florida, I'm sure your oh, kids are going oh, to great schools oh and all God. that. But is it is it like just stuck in the culture that, that it even has to come up for your I mean, kids? I, you, you have to who are obviously insulated from I'm still that? running an insurance company with 40, in 49 states and we got 46,000 agents that 15,000 of them are active right now. So I get all the news from all these different states on what's going on. They call me and I'm talking to them. So we have people on the ground that are experiencing this in California and, you know, Riverside. Then you got Oak Brook, Chicago. Then you got, you know, Dallas, even some schools in Dallas. Like, wait, this is happening in some parts of Dallas? Mm -hmm. Yes. And you got, you know, New York or Calverton, Maryland, or, you know, all these other areas. They're going through it, right? So you're hearing it. So I'm, I'm not okay with that part. And then for me, I think in the media space, I got a lot of enemies in the media space. <laughs> and, you know, some of these enemies are making big mistakes. Some of them you're just seeing that they're in it for only money. They haven't made money yet. They made a few million, but they've not made money money. So they're kind of like looking for their first 100 million or first 200 million. And I understand that. You got to go through making that first million, then first 10, then first 100, and then maybe you go add the additional zero and two additional zeros. Then you have the ESG community, these Larry Fink, these Wall Street, State Guard, Vanguard. Soros, he's giving the fund back to his son, and he's running it now. I think mm -hmm. his name is Alex, 38, 39 years old, and he's Just very close to Bill Gates. Just took a picture with Gavin Newsom the Gavin other Newsom, day, yeah, made sure I to saw get that. out there. Yeah. By the way, good move for Gavin. He's going to need that guy's money. And, you know, this, you know, uh, uh, Open Society Foundation that uh, Soros has given $32 billion to the last 30 years or so, that, that's a very powerful Nonprofit organization, open society, you gotta watch these guys. So then you got Hollywood and what they're doing, so we gotta find a way to make movies to compete against Hollywood and what they got going on, but there's a lot of enemies. But to me, you know, you have to be, you have to be very uh, intentional on choosing the right enemies. The wrong enemies bring out the worst in you. For example, let me give an example. Women who chose the feminist movement, they chose the wrong enemy. Men are not the enemy. What are you doing? How many 65-year-olds today who are single with no kids are coming out saying, I made the biggest mistake of my life? What did they do? They chose the wrong enemy. Men were never the enemy. Christians, Muslims, and Jews, they're choosing each other as the enemy. None of you guys know for a fact. You've not died and come back. <laughs> You've never met Jesus or Abraham or Mohammed. You pray to it. We all pray to it. So what are the enemies that we all see today? Values and principles that are being fought. Would you realize that Christians are thinking Muslims are the enemy? Muslims are thinking Christians are the enemy? They're not the enemy. It's the establishment and globalists that are pinning against each other. We're choosing the wrong enemy. 
we have completely, most of us, missed the mark on choosing the wrong enemy and it's destroyed people's lives. We've lost decades of our lives, some years, some decades of, some of their entire life it's gone with. So, you know, the reason why I wrote this book was more for people to realize that uh, we all make the mistake. You know, sometimes you're like, I'm gonna do it to prove that guy wrong. That guy doesn't bring out the best in you, but the other guy does, but the other thing does, or the other institution does. So for us, we got enough of the right enemies right now where the driver, what we wanted, again, God willing, if God keeps me around for 40 years, oh my God, and we're healthy, and what does that get you to? That gets you to 84? 84, 84, yeah. If That's God, the number for you? I'll go to 100, but it's a, he, he dictates. I'm going to do my part. I'm trying to take care of my health right now the last few years. I've lost four inches on my waist. There's a few things I did four years ago in July. I stopped drinking soda. I don't drink soda at all. So, And then, you know, a few months ago, I don't eat breakfast except for Sundays. And breakfast my favorite meal. I don't do breakfast anymore. I just skip breakfast six days a week. So I'm at a weight where it's 235, 238 is my weight at my height. Mm -hmm. I was at 258, 260, which you wouldn't tell if I'm 260, you know, because I'm a little bit taller, so it's kind of going to stretch. But at 235, 237, I'm good. I have the right people around me that my trying to take care of my health and all that stuff. But at the same time, look, God can also say, you think too much of yourself, man. <laughs> Who do you think you are, man? You, you think we need you or you need, you're going to be okay. Come up here and have him go clean a cloud. Who do you think you are? And I'm okay with that. But yeah. how, it, how much does that worry you, though? Because I will tell you this. It, it, it's something that I've been thinking about lately. Yeah. Like, again, I, I have the things that I want right now. And I have had a thought lately that I've never had before, which is I have, like, it seems to me like the, sh the, the shoe has to drop at some point. Like, if you have the things that you want, the life you're living the life you're supposed to be living, like, doesn't, that doesn't last for very long, right? Like something always is going to happen. Whether, you know, a death in the family, yeah, a, 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 yeah. whatever it might be. I, I've been thinking about my dad dying since I was 18 years old when I joined the Army because my biggest goal in life when I was six, when my teacher asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a dad because I wanted to be him. He's a great father, very good father. I, I wouldn't be who I am right now if it wasn't for him. He lives with me and I'm the happiest now that he's in my house. My kids see him. My dream was for my kids to meet him. I met him. him. I met him at you your met house. Him. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize he was living there. Yeah, wow. and my dream was for my kids to know this man because I never met his father, right? So I, want, I wanted them to have an experience with this. But, you know, but I know I'm going to get a phone call one day. You know, we're, we're going out to a nice, uh, uh, my son's birthday is coming up, so we're going to the Yankee Stadium. It's going to be the first time we're going as Yankees, you oh, know. We'll, we'll wrap with this because yeah, so, that's a cool so first, thing. Yeah. First time we're yeah. going there, so we're going to go there and take him to the game and then go to, you know, the, the, the Jets game, Patriots game, and all this stuff that we're doing. He can't go. He just told me yesterday, mm -hmm. I can't go. I said, what do you mean you can't go, right? We're just talking about this. Today he's trying to convince me to convince my dad. He said, I can't go. He said, if we go, I'm not feeling good. He was in a hospital for five days a couple weeks ago. He's 81. He's had 13 heart attacks. He drank and smoked for 35 years. of it. He smoked two packs a day for 35 years, you know, 20, 30 years until he had his heart attack. So the fact that he's still here, super lucky. Of course I'm greedy. I'd love to see him go to 100, but have perspective. And, you know, I, I, a long time ago I realized when I would debate as an atheist, I was an atheist for 25 years, and then I eventually realized, Hey, PBD, the bigger your vision, man, the more you need as much support as possible, and God's going to be your biggest support when you're alone and nobody believes in your vision. You're going to need to talk to somebody that's going to make sense of this vision of yours. You better get close to the man upstairs. So a lot of things that I'm never going to have the answer for, I have to rely on a source that's bigger than me, and that's the only thing I can give my faith and comfort in. I'm going to cry. I'm going to be in pain. I'm going to be emotional. I'm going to have to go to a lot of walks by myself and kind of break down and go through it. 
but you know the, the grace that he's given me, man, I'm, you have no idea how big of a role that, that the man upstairs plays in my life. So the reason why I'm saying this is I fear those things are going to happen, but the way I know I'm going to go through it is the one source. It's the only way I can go through it, only way I can go through it. We should probably end there, except you mentioned the Yankees. <laughs> and you are now a minority owner of the Yankees, which when I saw you tweet about that, I was like, that's basically the coolest thing I've ever heard. Lifelong Yankees fan. I saw Jeter just a couple weeks ago in uh, West Palm. Had a great conversation with him. The guy well, couldn't, I saw that. couldn't yeah. have been nicer. And I, cool. I, June 26th is both of our birthdays. So for many of my birthdays, I used to go to Yankee Stadium on our birthday and blah, blah, blah. Um, but you own, you're a minority owner of the, of the Yankees, yeah. which, uh, I mean, is that just like, as, that's basically coolest as good thing. as it gets, uh, it's right? The so wait, does that mean you're in the owner, are you in the owner's yeah. box? So there's one owner's box yeah. for all the guys that yeah. are the owners. Yeah. And that and you're just in it. Oh, and by the way, the Steinbrenner's owner's box that they built, it's, uh, it's ridiculous yeah. when you go to it. Yeah. I mean, it, when it happened, you know, get a call from a guy, says, hey, I know you want to be an owner of a team. You know, can you <laughs> have you heard of the Yankees? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, two years ago. He's like, I said, yeah. I said, what teams do you have? Because I'm only interested in a handful of teams. He said, well, I got, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies. I got this. I said, yeah, it's cool, but no. Who are you interested in? I said, well, I would say Yankees at the top and, you know, the Lakers, probably post-LeBron, but I would say the Lakers will be second. I'm not interested in the Lakers today, but those are the two teams. Great. It's just not going to happen because those things rarely open up. Well, one of the guys apparently was 80, 81 years old, and he's at a phase where he's like, he wants to sell his shares. And I get a call, you need to sign an NDA. For what? Just trust me, you need to sign an NDA. I sign the NDA, comes back and says, there's an opening. I said, you gotta be kidding me. He says, no, but you gotta go through a background check. This thing's gonna take 12, 13 months, and da, 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 da. So then I applied, interviewed with all the Yankees uh, folks. Then MLB did a background check on us. God knows how long that took. Then eventually I'm like, listen, this thing's done. It's just not going to happen. I'm too loud. They're not going to hire me. They're not going to allow me to come in, et cetera, et cetera. He says, well, guess what? The Yankees uh, owners want to meet you in New York. Great. I flew out to New York. I sat in a room. Randy Levine. You got Tony here, the CFO of YGE. You got Noel here, the COO who's been with them since 1974, 1964. And then Hal Steinbrenner over here. I said, you sure you guys are comfortable with me? I said, because... I'm not ESG, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this. And he you says, actually said that. You, you, you every, went through word the, for word. Yeah. I told him everything. I said, and I'm just getting started. So you need to understand, you're going to be forced to tell me to sell my shares, and I'm telling you, I'm not going to be quiet. So the only thing you guys got to know is we don't care where you are. Totally fine with us. We're comfortable with that. But we have one rule. I said, what's that rule? He said, how's the boss? We don't want your opinion. The only time we want your opinion is if we ask for it. Hmm. And I look at Hal and says, I'm the boss. I said, Hal, you're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> so I left, and then we were in Bermuda celebrating, you know, family. You know, we go once a year, yeah. family vacation, summertime. I get the call. What are you doing, Pat? I'm sitting down reading a book. Congratulations, you're officially a minority owner of the Yankees. I couldn't freaking believe it, bro. I'm like, are you Yeah, Yeah, you got to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, you know, of course. And it's like. You know, you go in there, wife, the kids, all this stuff. I'm like, oh my, and my kid was watching the, uh, one of the greatest documentaries of all time, of uh, 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 Joe, uh, one of the greatest, uh, who he won 10 World Series. Why am I forgetting his name? Yogi Berra, oh, Yogi yeah, Berra's yeah. documentary. By the way, one of the best documentaries of all time, ever. Good luck watching it without breaking down crying. Yeah. Literally, yeah. Yogi Berra documentary. So my son watches it, I'm seeing Dylan, he's emotional. I watch the documentary, then I get the announcement. 
Then we're going to the Yankee Stadium and we're going to go there and show them around and they're going to get a tour the entire thing. It's a great experience. But again, it's a dream, right? There's an element of I'm 44, but I want to, I want to, the, the people I always liked and respected the most, they had an element of being childlike. Mm -hmm. I don't want to lose the ability of being child, not childish, childlike. That childlike element is creative, is spontaneous, is curious, is in pursuit of something. You want to stay in, like, I love looking at my baseball cards and I become that 13 year old kid that was dreaming about one day having a Mickey Mantle card. Like, oh my God, what if one day? So this, this brings me back to the 14-year-old Pat, who's just a kid. I said, there's, there's no way this is ever gonna happen. Your dad works at a 99 cent store. So super grateful, incredible dream. One of the items on a bucket list, but it was a great experience. On that note, my friend, you know how this thing is gonna end? Because I'm gonna bring out young PBD. We're going to play horse on my basketball court. I'm outside. going to lose. In your suit. Tell you in advance. <laughs> but I look, because I've seen you, your shots. I know what you're doing, okay? <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, man, this was great. Appreciate you for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubenreport.locals.com.